What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us here for a very special Tuesday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a sports ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can check me out over on Twitter at JoeOrico99, and you can see all of our fantasy baseball content at Ethos Fantasy BB. That is the page where we post all of our podcasts, articles, news and notes, updates of the site, really any baseball content. Go over there and check it out. Leave us a follow. And if you're not on social media, sportsethos.com is where you get all of that right from the source. But today we are going to continue with our team previews. We're bringing back a good friend of the show. He joined us last year to talk about the Atlanta Braves as well. We're going to be keeping it the same this year. Mr. Chris Clegg, how you doing today, my friend? I am doing great. It's good to be back. It's uh can't believe we're already back to team-by-team previews. Feels like we just did this. But here we are in January again, and it's time. Uh, so it seems like it was yesterday we were in Arizona, but that's been over two months now, which is wild. It's hard to believe, you know, it's, it's literally, it's like yesterday we we're getting there to the golf course and I was showing up a little bit late coming off my flight and we were all kind of having a good time there. And of course, first pitch Arizona is, I talk about it probably once a week on the show. If you guys haven't been down to Arizona, it's definitely worth hanging out. You get to play golf with Clegg and he will run circles around <laughs> you. And then you get to hang out with a bunch of different baseball people, have a couple of drinks. You hear a bunch of panels. Uh, first pitch Arizona is obviously always a great time. Got to hang out with Clegg for the second year in a row. And we are talking Atlanta Braves. Before we really get into it, Chris, I want to give you a chance to just tell everybody where your work can be found and what you got going on right now. Yeah, sure. So my work's pretty much exclusively at the Dynasty Dugout now. It's all pretty much Dynasty or prospect work. Still do a little redraft stuff here and there. Still like to play in, in redraft leagues too. So I try to throw that in. My niche focus is now just kind of Dynasty prospect content. So the DynastyDugout.com and all that's posted on X or Twitter, whatever you want to call it, at Roto Clegg. So pretty much everything I do or publish is there. And at the Toolshed Pod as well with Eric Cross. So still doing that. Still having a good time with it. So, yeah, those are kind of my uh, outlets for work. And uh, yeah. You do great work, man. I almost feel like I'm taken away from the fantasy community by taking you away from prospects for an hour. <laughs> no, but it's good. I think, I think we're compensating talking about some Atlanta Braves. Of course, Dynasty Dugout. Got some great merch you guys should be checking out. Is that for sale? You guys got that up on the website, or is that was that just a limited run? What was it? It's like the the shirts and stuff. Oh, those... oh, yeah. Yeah, sorry. We are selling those. Yeah? Uh, yep, so I've got hats that are getting made. It's trying to do some more merch just to, yeah, uh, yeah I think it's cool. So, hey, merch it's awesome great. you're wearing it. Yeah, no, I figured it got you on. I don't yeah. have an opportunity to wear it so often, especially in the winter here. Uh, so it's definitely cool to, to be thrown on. It's a great shirt, great like Under Armour style yeah. uh, texture on it. Great stuff. Of course, everything Chris puts out is of a high quality, so it's no shocker there. <laughs> Speaking of high quality, though, this guy also is a Braves fan, just to add on top of it all. And we're going to be talking about arguably the most potent lineup in all of baseball. And I think if there's one player to start with, we're starting at the top of the order anyway. But even if he wasn't projected a leadoff, I think we're going to be starting with Ronald Acuna Jr. here anyway. He put up, according to, you know, I was listening to some uh, Ron Chandler talk on a Baseball HQ when they did their forecast to release. And this was probably the greatest fantasy baseball season in history you know he put up 41 homers he stole 73 bases 149 runs he batted 337 he was the top of the class in in every category really now he's probably not going to be able to get to the same heights exactly and i've heard some people talk about well he's the number one pick this year but will he actually return that number one value i think it would be kind of foolish to not take him number one but i guess you know, going back historically, the number one player does not always repeat. In fact, they usually don't. So do you have any worry about Acuna maybe falling off a little bit? Do you think that he will finish as the number one player? What What are your thoughts on him overall heading into 2024? Well, even if he does fall off, which does seem possible, given that the season that he had is hard to repeat. I mean, 41 homers, 73 stolen bases, 337 average. I mean, like you said, it was one of the best fantasy seasons we have ever seen. But what does that look like then if he does fall off? Like if he, let's say he just hits 35 home runs and steals 50 backs. I still believe that that probably warrants him being the first overall pick and first overall player at that. Just looking at last year of how valuable he was. I mean, he basically lapped everybody in terms of like earned auction values. And I was going to pull that up just to kind of give an idea of how valuable he really was and using the rasball player raider let's see my computer's being really slow but i'm almost certain that acuna was like 25 30 more than anybody else which is just 
absolutely insane to even think about. So yeah, and 12 so- teamers, 12 teamers. He was 71.4, according to Rasbald. Next best was Matt Olson, his teammate at 46.6. <laughs> so you're talking a $25 difference there between one and two. That's the difference of essentially adding like Luis Robert or Luis Castillo to that as well in terms of dollar value. Incredible season. Yeah, that's wild. That that fact just, you know, everything is is there. I mean, he's cut the strikeout rate significantly year over year, and you had an elite strikeout rate of just 11.5% last year, paired it with really good contact rates, the EVs, the barrel rate, all that is elite. So even with a step back, you know, I still think you're going to get, you know, elite Acuna and probably number one value. Even even if there is some regression, so I'm fully buying in on the number one pick. I just don't. I just can't get myself to buy anybody else there after what we saw, and even the projections like are extremely high. And if he hits the projections, I'd assume still number one. I mean, Steamer came out at 38 homers, 56 stolen bases, 135 runs, and 100 RBI, which is you don't see projections like that. So that's just crazy. Yeah, I was listening to uh, to the boys on the CBS pod talk yesterday, the day before, and they mentioned uh, Acuna's projections and. If you just put the steamer projections into the Fangraphs auction calculator, Acuna's projected like $21 ahead of everybody else. It's it's absolutely insane. I don't know that I've ever seen it. I'm, of course, a fairly young guy. haven't been playing fantasy forever. But in my time playing, I've never seen projections like this. He's projected for 135 runs and 100 RBI to go along with everything else. He is about as safe as you can be. Don't get too cute. If you got the number one overall pick, there's been a couple times where it's been Bobby Witt. You've seen Julio Rodriguez once or twice. My advice would be just keep it simple. You don't need to to overthink it and then end up taking Bobby Witt or Corbin Carroll, Julio, and then, you know, potentially not getting those uh, same numbers. And, of course, you know, you never know going into the season who's going to be the number one player. Acuna does have the ACL from a couple of years ago. You know, It's not a sure thing, but I think going into draft season, he should be clearly the number one player. I don't think that should be too much of a debate here. Now, moving down the lineup, it's just a ridiculously talented lineup the whole way through. But projected a bat second right now is Ozzy Albies. And Ozzy Albies had himself a huge bounce back year last year. You got him at a bit of a discount in drafts in 2023 because in 2022 he did miss some time. Wasn't exactly the Ozzy Albies that we were hoping for, even in the time that he was out there, right? He only had eight home runs in 64 games, three stolen bases. He batted 247. This year he hit 33 homers, stole 13 bases. He got the batting average up to 280. Ozzy Albies seems to be one of the top tier second baseman he's generally going middle of the second round what are your thoughts you think he can keep building on this uh what he's done or what what are you thinking uh, heading into 2024 for albies well it was certainly a a solid rebound year we saw the big year in 2021 when he hit 30 homers stole 20 bags and this year he came back with 33 homers and you know i was really buying in the on the rebound last year because always was hurt in 2022 for most of the year played through injury missed a lot of time end up only having 269 plate appearances, but then had a full season again in 2023, and we saw the results. Now, Albies is not going to be a stat cast darling. You look at the underlying data, and you're like, oh, man, he doesn't hit the ball that hard, but he never has. But what Albies does is he hits the ball at ideal launch angles consistently. The sweet spot percentage is very high, 37.5%. It's 83rd percentile among all hitters. So there's a lot of value to be had there when he's putting the ball in the air on the line so often. The strikeout rate dipped back down, and that was a concern for many. It was like, oh, the strikeout rate had kind of jumped up, and like, what would that look like? But the last three years, he's seen that strikeout rate drop in just 16.2% last year being a really solid number. Now, the stolen bases are interesting because in a year where stolen bases were up, Albies stole less. So what does that look like? Next year, uh, that's hard to say. Albies has never really been like a, a sprint speed darling, but it's kind of all about like execution and being able to get good reads and jumps. And you would have thought that in a 2023 year, he would have been able to do that at a higher clip. That being said, it's second base position that's really weak. Albies giving you 30 home runs and 10 stolen bases even has a ton of value in itself just because the position in general is a lot weaker. Steamer projects 29-13. That seems like a pretty solid projection. And if he hits in that spot, he's going to have a ton of opportunities to drive in Acuna. And he should score a lot of runs, considering who's batting behind him. So I do think Albies is a good investment. Obviously, the cost is not nearly as good as it was going into 2023. 
But I still think the cost is pretty reasonable. You're getting him as a second-round pick. He may dip into the third round of some 15-teamers. For the most part, he's going to be in the middle of that second round, which if you want to fill the second base spot early, you, I think Albies is a great spot there. Yeah, Albies is generally right now his ADP is 22.5 over the last month or so. That's going back to December 1st, looking at draft champions on the NFBC. We have 23 drafts. He's going between 16 and 27. It's hard to not like it, though. If he's able to keep up, even if it's like 80, 90% of what he did last year, I think he's able to maintain that in that lineup. The counting stats for anybody in the top five are they're going to be 100 and 100 threat, like Albies was very close to doing last year. He's projected for 99 and 94. Second base, like you mentioned, is not one where I really want to be caught waiting until post pick 200 to, to get my starting guy. Uh, you know, I think Albies, if you are going to go for an elite second baseman, he's probably the guy that you are going to go to. I mean, Mookie Betts, obviously, you're going to have to spend a high first-round pick on him. Ozzie Albies does not have that same kind of draft capital, and, of course, I think the upside is not as high as Mookie Betts, but you're getting him 17 or so picks later as the second second baseman off the board, and I think that that is a pretty reasonable price. I wouldn't say that it's like a can't-miss kind of price because it is very high, right? It's a 22 overall. It's your second-round pick, but I think it's a fairly stable price considering – what we've seen from Albies and of course that lineup, that lineup is going to be something that we, I mentioned for like every single player. Well, he's in the Braves lineup, he's in the Braves lineup. It is a fact. And these guys are going to be able to just eat at the top of the lineup. And the number three batter in the order is going to be no different. That's Austin Riley. You know, there's some people say you can write the stats down in pen before the year for whoever it is. Freddie Freeman is one of those guys where I've heard that before. You can write the numbers down. You know what you're going to get. Austin Riley is very similar. He's batted within 20, 30 points of each other uh, the last three years. Been about 35 homers, about 100 runs, about 100 ribbies. Very, very consistent profile. At another you know, fairly weak fantasy position in third base. Are you a fan of Austin Riley for this year? Are you investing in him? I know you're not the biggest redraft guy anymore, but just from a 2024 perspective, are, are you in on Riley? 100%, just from the standpoint of you know what you're getting out of him. He's as safe as they come. You know, the third base position is interesting. It is a little deeper this year, yeah. it seems. But we know exactly what you're going to get. As you mentioned, the numbers have been steadily good year over year. I mean, you're likely to get 275 to 285 average. I wouldn't bank on that 303 coming back from 2021. But there's still a lot of value to be had there, especially at third base, where the margin for batting average is a little bit lower. So you're getting a solid batting average from Riley. He's going to give you consistent pop. Seems like a lock for 35 home runs at least. I mean, 38 and 37 each of the last two years. The exit velocities are up there in the ninth percentile or better among all hitters for all the categories from hard hit to barrel to average EV, et cetera. And being in that lineup spot is a huge boost as well. If you've got Matt Olson hitting behind you and you've got Acuna and Albies in front of you, there's going to be a ton of counting stat opportunities there for Riley with runs, with RBI. It just it seems like a no-brainer to me to if you want to invest in third base, if you want that safety in the second round, then Riley's the way to go. Now, there's other third basemen going in a similar range as Austin Riley, which is interesting. You've got Jose Ramirez, who's not going too far ahead of him. He's going about seven picks ahead of him on average. You know, Ramirez is going to provide a little speed. But at some point, we've seen kind of Ramirez declining a bit in speed. So that's interesting. You've got Ellie De La Cruz going around a similar ADP. And then you've got Raphael Devers as well, about three picks, four picks behind Austin Riley. So there are third base options. But with the safety of Riley, with the lineup context around Riley, it's hard to not bet on him among that group just because you know what you're going to get. You know, Boston's lineup, not as good as it has been. Uh, you look at... Cleveland, the lineup doesn't look nearly as good. But with Riley, he, you know he's going to play every day. You know he's going to provide. And he's in one of the best lineups in baseball. So you can't pitch around him at all. So now I like the price tag on Riley, and I just think the safety in the pick is is certainly there. Yeah, it's about the same price as last year from what I remember. I think he was about a mid-second rounder. He was going right around the same range as Devers again last year. You'll see the same kind of debate this season. But I think you have to default to the Braves over the Red Sox. What he and Devers do is very similar just in and of themselves production wise. But when you factor in the lineup, I think it's an easy call to go with Austin Riley there. I think you probably should pair him with somebody in the first round who is going to get you some steals. Those steals do really, really dry up. If you don't get a, a 40, you know, a 30 to 50 kind of steal guy in the first couple rounds. 
I wouldn't be building my team, put it this way. I wouldn't be going after Olsen and then Riley and then Bobachet and those kind of builds. If you take an Austin Riley, I would try and go for somebody that is a 30 steel type of guy at least, just because they are tougher to come by. You know, the, the steals, there's more of them, but you need more of them to be able to compete. And Austin Riley, the last two years, two and three stolen bases. It's kind of, you know, it's the only real criticism you can have for him, but I would just say, plan for it if you are going to take him he's going to be a four category stud but try and compensate for those steals somewhere earlier than later if you can um now this guy that we're going to talk about was the, actually the number two overall player if you look at rasball you look at a couple different places ahead of mookie ahead of freddie freeman it was kind of surprising honestly even seeing the great year he had that he did finish ahead of mookie but 54 homers 139 ribbies 127 runs scored and a 283 batting average which was a career high as well matt olson was everything you could have hoped for and more. I think he was going in the 40s or 50s last season, so definitely somebody who set you off on your way to winning a league or at least doing very, very well last year. I personally don't know if he'll be able to maintain the batting average to the same extent. It was a career high at 283. He's a 256 hitter. Those 54 homers, the odds of repeating a 50-homer season, I think are fairly low. But even still, you know, you look at the projections, 40 homers, more than 100 runs, more than 100 ribbies. They're projecting 270. It's hard to not like what you're getting from Olsen there at the beginning of round two, even if it's not quite what we saw last year. Are you going to be drafting Olsen this year? Or are you more of a fade at that one-two turn? Yeah, that's a tough spot for him. And it's a fair spot given the production last year, ADP of 17. So you know, when you draft Matt Olsen, it's almost expecting him to give you pretty close to that production. Yeah, he's going right around Bryce Harper, which Harper in turn could come out and have an elite season like this. Yeah. Harper provides a little bit on the bags. He's hit for a much better batting average over the last few years. But going ahead of Pete Alonso by about you know, 10 spots, which I think is fair, actually. First base is interesting, and there are some values to be had, but I think first base actually dries up pretty quickly if you don't get the guy you want early on. Now, is Matt Olson going to repeat? This kind of season, I would say probably not, but I don't think you need him to in order to give you value, but gives you 40 home runs. If he gives you like a 270 average, that'd be interesting. I wonder how, like, obviously the batting average was boosted last year by the fact that he hit 54 home runs. That's a lot of balls that are just automatically being counted for hits that you may not have in the past. So, you know, this was the second season in Atlanta. The first year, there was so much pressure to replace Freddie Freeman. And even still, Olsen still had a good year in 2022. But then he really took his game to the next level. In 2023, the RBI opportunities are going to be endless. Let's say he hits 40 home runs. Let's say he hits 260. We'll split the difference in 2022 and 2023. Or even let's just split the 2023 and his career average. Say he hits 265, 270-ish. Then I still think there's some value here, but the price tag is pretty costly. And I'm not sure I'm going to be willing to pay that in most drafts when you can just kind of wait a little bit longer and find these power options, maybe at a better price. I mean, you'll Christian Walker's been a power bat. He's going, you know, around 88, and he's been consistent year over year. You've got the Tristan Casas upside around pick 107. So I don't know. I feel like I'm just going to miss out on Olsen this year in redraft and end up you know looking elsewhere at first base because there are power options down the board so that's to me the cost is a little high but i think it's fair given the season that he put together in 2023 yeah i think you said it perfectly like that's where he probably should be going but when i can get even vlad jr a couple rounds later i can get paul goldschmidt in the 80s christian walker in the 90s Cassis, torkelson josh naylor yandy diaz all past pick 100 there is a lot of value at first base this season you want to go even farther down you got pasquantino reese hoskins uh, there are options you don't need to invest in the in a first baseman in the back end of the first round beginning of the second round and matt olson's minimum pick just over the last month is number two he went second overall in a draft champions you know i, I heard a couple jokes like oh matt olson's playing nfbc this year he's drafting himself second overall <laughs> but that's kind of i don't think going to be so anomalous i think there will be a couple people who look at what he did last year and see that lineup and maybe he does go there a couple times and that's where we're getting out of hand i think a little bit in terms of the hype did he perform as the number two player last year yes will he do it again almost certainly not and i think that even though he's fairly likely to finish as a top 25 or top 30 player you really don't need to be investing that kind of price tag in what you're probably going to be getting from him so 
I'm going to be more of a fade, even though I feel kind of weird saying that for somebody that has such great projections. But I just think the price is a little bit too high for me personally. Now, projected a bat fifth, Marcelo Zuna, who's coming off of an incredible season, probably a career year for him as well. 40 dingers, 100 ribbies. He batted 274. He got the walk rate up to 9.6%. Very, very good season from him. Now, he's a utility-only guy heading into 2024. What are your thoughts on him overall, and does that utility-only designation kind of bump him down your rankings a little bit? Yeah, it certainly does. I don't want to fill my utility spot at pick 155 on average where Ozuna's going. Now, there's a lot of variables. He's going all over the board, going as high as 67, which is wild. But I certainly wouldn't pay that price tag. Probably wouldn't pay the 155 ADP price tag either. And you mentioned Ozuna had a career year. But what does it look like moving forward? We know we've known he's had the power. He hit uh, at one point 37 home runs in Miami in 2017. So we've seen the pop when he came over to Atlanta. I mean, this is by far his best year outside of the shortened 2020 season when he hit 18 home runs in 60 games. But this is also interesting because it's a contract year for Marcelo Zuna. We tend to see players play up in a contract year i know there's a 2025 club option with atlanta do they want to pick that up i I don't know so a 33 year old coming into a contract year he's certainly going to want to repeat this i would think that 30 home runs is probably reasonable and the average probably takes a little bit of a dip just the 274 just doesn't seem like something that's gonna stick for him just given the contact rates like everything we're looking at the zone contact is actually relatively good at 85 percent which is a little around, right around league average, a little above. But ultimately, I think, you know, just watching Ozuna, he chases so often, like he's swinging at a lot of bad pitches. And it does give me a little bit of pause, even though all the contact data does look fine. You just watch him and you're like, oh, like the overall contact due to the chase contact is, is a little below average. So, you know, ultimately, I'm not buying Ozuna at the price tag. I think that he's probably a regression candidate. And, I just can't justify filling the utility spot that early. And we know that he's not going to earn outfield. He's not going to play outfield at all as things stand without you know somebody being injured. So he played just two games in left last year. Seems likely he fills that DH spot again. And the utility only label kind of hurts his value. Yeah. And barring injury, I don't, like you said, I don't see him getting enough times in the outfield. Maybe if it's like a very low threshold, like Yahoo, I think it's a five game threshold in season. Maybe he can sneak into five, but for the most part, He's a utility-only guy. If you're taking a utility-only guy in the first 100 or so picks, you better be playing for the Dodgers, and it better be Shohei Otani, I think. (laughs) But I don't think Ozuna, just from what he does, and I know the lineup obviously adds a lot to it, like with every other player. He had 100 runs driven in last year, 84 runs scored, but I think you're going to see a little bit of regression as he gets older. Just It won't be, I don't think, drastic this year, but those 40 homers likely go to 30. The 100 RBI probably go to like 90 in the batting average. Everything's probably just going to come down a little bit. doesn't steal. I, I just don't really want to get myself into the Marcelo Zuna business if I can avoid it. You know, There might be one or two teams where you think he's an okay, you need, you need a bit of late power, whatever. But I think for the most part, you should probably not be uh, targeting Marcelo Zuna in your drafts. Now, number six, again, star-studded star-studded affair here. It's Michael Harris. Michael Harris is a very, very tricky player, I think. He's one of the hardest players for me to actually rank because he played 114 games in 2022, uh, 19 homers, 20 steals. He added 25 games this season, and the numbers were about the same. Um, And that's – I don't know if we can really read too much into that. He is still 22 years old. But I was expecting a bit more of a jump forward in 2023 that we didn't really see from Harris. And he started the year off frozen, freezing cold. A lot of people were dropping him in shallow leagues, and then he eventually did pick it up. But we didn't see much improvement this year, at least not from what I'm seeing here. The WRC Plus went from 137 to 115. It wasn't a bad year, but it wasn't quite what I was expecting. And the price tag on Michael Harris is still generally about a third-round pick. What are your thoughts on him right now? Well, I will say there's a caveat of, Harris is, was hurt to begin yeah. the season. He spent the first two months pretty banged up, and you know I think that had a large effect on him. You just kind of look at the numbers through May, and then you look at the rest of the season, they're drastically different. I mean, from the beginning of the season through the end of May, uh, Harris hit just 174 with a 260 OBP and a 266 slug, two home runs over that span. So it was really bad. As I mentioned, he was pretty injured, and he missed some time in June due to injury too. 
he was kind of on and off, but that's where he really began to pick things up. And to finish the year from June on, hit 326 with a 352 OVP and a 535 slug and 16 home runs, 15 stolen bases over those 416 plate appearances to end the season. So looking at it, he still was pacing for nearly 30-30 when he was healthy. And even for a full season at that, just given the fact that you know he did miss time and didn't give you a full season worth of plate appearances, but he was extremely good. The contact rate soared up since from June on. The exit velocities, hard hit rate, all that was extremely good. And it just kind of shows you like how bad things were for him in the first two months. And I do think a lot of it was due to injury. So Harris is an interesting eval, as you mentioned, just given the draft price, 36 ADP, it's pretty high. But I do believe that Harris is more the player we saw healthy than he was in those first couple months when he was banged up and really dealing with injuries. So I'm happy to buy in at the cost. I think he is a a solid source of all categories, power, speed, batting average. He's going to give you a little bit of it all. And you factor in the running RBI potential in the lineup then he should be in a pretty good spot. He drove in just 57 last year, but he did spend time at the bottom of the lineup, so that obviously matters. And if we see him hitting in the spot, I think he's in. A, this is actually a really good spot for him to hit for all those reasons, for runs RBI. So I'm actually buying Harris at the cost, and I really do believe that he could have a, a really solid 2024 season. I hope that they keep him where the projections are looking like in the six hole because he has been, you know, if you just look at last year and even his rookie season, he started 88 times in the nine hole. And that will limit you to some extent. Now, of course, that'll flip over and you'll have Acuna and Albies and Riley and Olsen batting when you're on base. But I think I would be a lot more interested personally if we knew he was going to bat second. If we knew he was going to be, and I don't think that that's really going to happen. And that's where I think that he probably should be. Maybe the on base is a little bit too low for that, but I think maybe I'm just selfish from my own fantasy point of view. I'd want him to bat second. I just personally can't get behind him at this point at this price. And I know NFBC outfielders really go speed really goes and he gives you both of those. You don't, you don't need to be, you know, drafting him in the first, second round. He is a third round player and the production, like like you said, he was a 30-30 pace guy. We know he's close to a 300 average. He could give you a first round season, hypothetically. I just haven't been able to personally draft him. And I think part of it is my concern with where he is in the lineup. I'm really hoping that he is able to bat in the middle and maybe get a few at-bats closer to the top of the order. But personally, right now, I just haven't been able to draft him. And maybe, maybe I haven't read enough into the injuries last year. I haven't given him enough benefit of the doubt there. And maybe you're talking me into him a little bit more here, Chris. But I just think the price is so expensive. I, I you know, I, I want a little more floor from that price. And sure. maybe I'll take him once or twice. But I think that he is a very, very tricky player to evaluate. Yeah, I agree. And there are some other, like, that spot is interesting. You know, that early third round range, there are some some other interesting. I mean, he's going right by, like, Vlad Guerrero Jr., yeah. who is a much safer floor. Like a Boba Shed, who feels like a safer floor to me. But with the counting stats, like I think it's a fair spot for Harris, and especially if he dips a little bit. I've seen, I see the max pick of fifty. Like I'd scoop mm-hmm. him up there all day long if I yeah. could. Uh, let's move on to catcher, and this one I think we'll talk about them both together. Sean Murphy and Travis Darno. Last season, a lot of people were kind of confused. Travis Darno was getting a lot of the reps early on in the season, and he was doing very, very well. Forget what the injury was, but Darno went down, and then Sean Murphy was. Superman essentially in that lineup when he was healthy last season he had 21 homers in 108 games now he did tail off a little bit but I'm kind of confused as to what their plan is going into the season now both catches are healthy do you think there's a chance that they actually do you know lean towards Darno a little bit more like they showed they would at the beginning of last year Darno is older so there's probably that you got to factor in as well but do you think that it's so clear-cut that Murphy is the number one at this point or do you think it's more of a more of a shared duties kind of thing You know, I really thought with the contract that the Braves handed out to Murphy after they traded for him, that he was like going to be locked in everyday guy. You know, the interesting thing is like Darno is just never really healthy, but we did see him take reps from, from Murphy. Murphy also dealt with some injuries, hamstring issues. He dealt with a concussion that he played through towards the end of the year. So that obviously kind of factors in. The numbers and his first half pace was just absolutely insane. He had 17 home runs in the first half, had a 306 average, and then the second half just completely fell off the 
face of the earth with a 159 average, four home runs. But I wonder if a lot of it was attributed to, you know, the injuries that he was dealing with, hamstring, concussion, like those things seem to really bother. And, you know, you saw ultimately, I think the launch angle went down, more ground balls, all that stuff. And so hard hit data, extremely good. Contact skills, solid, doesn't chase, disciplined hitter. I would say worst case that Murphy probably gets, you know, 65% of the starts, which doesn't seem like a lot, but from a catcher, if they give you 65% of the starts, let's say that there's like 750 available plate appearances there. Like that's probably, he's still getting close to 500 plate appearances and that's valuable from a catcher for Murphy's caliber. So, you know, I think Murphy is a good investment right now. His ADP, lines up and it's the 140 spot and similar catchers going that range like there's a lot actually in the spot with cal raleigh sal perez francisco alvarez wilson Contreras, gabriel moreno all those guys are going within a couple picks so it does give you some choices there murphy i do believe in the upside and i believe that his defense does make the difference so for that reason he probably gets more reps just because the defense is so good do you think you could make the argument just because of how cheap the price is? Darno's not going until about 380 on average that he does make a decent little handcuff or as a DC kind of uh, second catcher, maybe a third catcher, and he might just luck into 50% of the playing time. I don't expect it, but I wasn't expecting him to start off as the primary catcher last year either. I'm not really yeah. sure. So I think that you could make the argument that Darno, just based on price, is a very reasonable target there as your second or third catcher. Yeah, I think so too. The price is really good. And ultimately, why not take the shot there? Darno may get some reps at DH. You know, Zuna could have days off if he struggles, and, and Darno can fit in there when he's not catching. So I think Darno does find the plate appearances, and I do think that he's actually a pretty solid investment at that price point where he's going. Yeah, absolutely. Now, if he's you're like your standard like 12-team Yahoo league, probably don't need to be taking Travis Darno, but if you're in a draft champion NFBC type of league, that's where I would be taking a look at him. Now let's talk about a new addition, somebody that I'm still pretty big on. You're obviously the co-host with Eric Cross, so you know who <laughs> this guy is. This is Jared Kelenic. Jared Kelenic is somebody that I still believe in. I think that he can be a 20 home run bat who can bat maybe 260, 270. And I think going to an organization like Atlanta is really good for him. Better ballpark, better teammates, better everything. Are we going to see him finally have everything click in 2024 now, or are we maybe more on the side of Kellenic's never going to live up to what we thought? Where are you at right now? Yeah, I'm certainly buying in a Kellenic bounce back. I mean, it's there was so much pressure in Seattle. Like yeah. before Julio Rodriguez, Jared Kellenic was the number one prospect. He was the top guy, and so there was pressure when he came up. And you know, is the more we've learned about Kelnick, it's the more that he really puts all that pressure on himself to be the guy. And now you have him in a situation where he doesn't need to be the guy. He can be the the sixth best guy, the seventh best guy on the team, and that still be pretty good and provide value. Even last year, he struggled, but he still posted a 108 WRC plus, pretty solid, 11 home runs, 13 stolen bases, and he was really seemed to be breaking out in the early going. Yep. And ultimately tailed off a bit. So, you know, when you're looking at Kelnick, I think that there's a chance that he does provide a decent return on value. He has power. He has speed. I don't see why he can't get to 20 home runs, in my opinion. He hits the ball hard enough. He hits the ball at ideal angles consistently. Like, this seems like the prime left-handed bat to hit some serious home runs over there in the chop house and ultimately provide speed too. Like, 15 stolen bases, 20-plus home runs, and even if he hits 260, then I think there's a plenty of return on investment here. He will hit towards the bottom of the lineup, but he may stand to have a chance to be driven in quite often by a guy named Ronald Acuna Jr. at the top. So, yeah, I think Kelnick actually is someone that I really believe could bounce back at a 225 price tag. I'm I'm in. I am so in on Kelnick. I'm ready to get hurt. It's the Steve Carell meme, but. I think, you know, if you look at the projections, which is 123 games from Steamer, I think that's probably selling him a little short. Assuming he's healthy, I think you're probably, correct me if I'm wrong, looking at maybe 140 Kellenic games, 145. Does that seem more reasonable? I just don't see him playing three quarters of the games barring an injury. If he's healthy, yeah. he'll be out there, right? Oh, yeah. He's going to play every day, in my opinion. Yeah. So let's call it 140 some odd games. 
you're bumping up these projections, which already are 18 and 13 with 63 runs, 63 RBIs. You want to boost that by another 10% or so. And you're looking at like a 20 and 17 guy with probably 150 runs and RBIs combined. However, he gets there going past pick 200 and NFBC leagues. You need five outfielders. It's very tricky to fill out your outfielders at this point. You're not getting high upside. You're usually just getting like a kind of filler player of like, oh, I feel okay about this guy. Kellerman could legitimately finally break out. We are, you know, you mentioned him along with Julio Rodriguez. I believe that Kellenic at one point was above Julio in prospect yeah, rankings. 100%. So that upside that, you know, it's only, we're only two years removed from that. I'm not ready to fully give up on him. He's nowhere near like a Joe Adele type at this point for me. He's still somebody that I think can, can really click. And I think given the price tag and given the lineup he's in, this is really the year to be investing in Jared Kellenic. Now the number nine hitter in the lineup, Orlando Arcia, he surprised me. I think he surprised a lot of people last year. 17 homers he batted 264 decent counting stats he was a fantasy asset last season when not really many people were expecting it was that kind of the one-off from orlando arcia or do you think he can kind of continue what he did last year give you 15 17 homers decent counting stats are you in on him he's an interesting player the braves obviously saw something in him to give him a multi-year contract they had bond grissom there that nearby thought would end up taking the role and then arcia comes and you know, they give him the multi-year deal, and it's a cheap multi-year deal at that. And then he just shows out. I mean, considering his average con- average annual value of like 2.5 million, it's it's a steal with what the Braves did with RC to hit 17 home runs, as you mentioned, to give him a 264 average. And you know, can he sustain it? Maybe not. Maybe we see a little bit of regression. But at the end of the day, like if he's a 15 home run bat that hits you 255, 260, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. Uh, the price tag currently on Arcia is 450. I mean, that's so late. I mean, yeah. yeah. So it's so cheap. Why not take a shot there? I think that he easily returns, you know, the value that you pay for him. Last year, he finished as the 225th best player, according to Rasball Player Raider. And that was considering, I mean, he played pretty much every day, but yeah, why couldn't he do that again? And you're paying half the cost for that. Yeah. I don't know why he is so cheap. I, I think that's maybe just people are kind of forgetting about him. But as the number nine hitter in that lineup, you know, I've made the argument for Gavin Lux this year as well. You're, you're in the number nine hole, but you're flipping over to some incredibly talented players at the top. And we saw it last year with Arcia getting close to 70 runs from the nine hole. You're not getting that from a lot of players that go along with the 17 homers as well. I don't know why the price is so cheap. Do I want him as my starting fantasy shortstop? Probably not. But, you know, any NFBC style league, you want some kind of middle infield, corner infield depth. That's the kind of guy that Arcia is not necessarily a starter, but somebody where you can plug him in in a pinch and start him for a week or two. And you're not going to be saying, oh, shit, like this is going to be terrible. Like he's still <laughs> yeah. probably going to be able to give you good counting stats, good batting average. So I see no reason literally to fade pretty much anybody in this lineup. But Arcia, considering the price is so cheap it's hard to not be pretty interested now in terms of the rest of the bench bats i don't think we're too interested for anybody here from a fantasy point of view right yeah yeah no 100 i'm i'm in there just i don't see why not why why wouldn't you take a shot yeah um now let's let's talk about the starting rotation a little bit spencer strider is my favorite pitcher in, in all of baseball i've made no bones about that i've been you know talking up spencer strider for the last two years if you search Strider in my tweets, it actually might be my most tweeted about player because I've just been <laughs> obsessed. I've been obsessed with this guy over the last couple of seasons. And he didn't get the results that a lot of people probably wanted, myself included, in 2023. And that led a lot of people to kind of think that maybe Strider's a little bit overrated or whatever. Let them let them say that because I think that Spencer Strider is probably the best pitcher in all of baseball. He's projected from Steamer to be the Triple Crown winner, not just if you're looking at the National League. For all of Major League Baseball, he's projected for the most wins, the most strikeouts, the best ERA. It's hard not to like him, however you look at it. Is Strider the best pitcher in baseball, and should we be drafting him as such for fantasy? I think so. And you know, everybody's going to kind of be quick to point to his ERA last year and you know, not nearly what you had hoped for. You know, He gave you 386, but you look at all the peripherals, and they were all extremely good. 309 XERA, a 285 FIP, a 292 XFIP, and he gave you 186 innings. I think many question how many innings that – he would get and he certainly gave you everything and more and there's no reason to think that we couldn't see that number step up even further push you close to 200 innings mm-hmm. and 200 elite innings at that i think strider is 
you know, going to give you the best strikeout rates of any starter in baseball. I think that you see the ERA tick down. I don't think that's an indicator of the kind of pitcher that he is. And I think that the performance in 2024 is just going to be even better than it was in 2023. So he's a pretty easy investment for me as the number one SP off the board. And while there's a lot of good options, like Garrett Cole's as safe as they come, I just think Strider, what he offers is just immense when you look at you know, the ratios plus the strikeouts you're getting from him. Yeah, plus the team context. He won 20 games last year, and you're never going to project 20 wins, but if there's anybody who can do it, it's probably Strider. I think there's just nothing really to to not like here. Yes, he gave up more homers than he probably should have, and everybody points to 2023 and says, well, look at the homers. He didn't have any kind of homer problem in 2022, and considering the talent, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt to say that that's not going to be something that bothers him in his entire career. More than double the amount of home runs he allowed this season, even on a per-rate bait, you know, 0.48 homers per nine up to 1.06. I don't think that that's going to stick. The projections seem to think it'll be fairly high. Do you think that's still going to be something he struggles with, is allowing the long ball? Because the projections think it'll be about the same here, more than a homer per nine. Yeah, and it's interesting to see because, you know, the rate was nearly, it was over double what yeah. it was in 2022. Will that sustain? I don't know. I I have a hard time believing that we don't see some positive regression in that sense, like you kind of look at the the overall profile and his home run to fly ball rate jumped pretty significantly. I just don't see a reason why we see that stick. I mean, Garrett Cole had a similar problem. He fixed it, you know, this year doing some things, you know, kind of behind the scenes to kind of, you know, with pitch location, et cetera. I'm curious now uh, to look where the home runs were allowed, what pitch time, and pull that up just to kind of see. I guess I have to guess that we see some, Positive regression in that sense. You know, 17 home runs did come on the four-seam fastball. Wow. I would guess just bad location, maybe even dip fields. And I will say, when, when Strider looks vulnerable, it's usually when the fastball is sitting, when it drops to like 95. That's when he looks the most vulnerable, ultimately. So, yeah, I'm curious now just to look a little more in depth and see like what we were looking at here as far as like where were these home runs coming from i'm gonna pull that up on some savant's illustrator is great by the way if you ever want to do this you can just look at the pitch chart see where all the home runs came yeah we're looking at a fastball up that fastball a 98 mile hour fastball up to jason hayward seems like it was just yeah kind of fluky that he got that pitch uh out and away high to adelise garcia in 96 that was a little diminished velocity he left a hanging slider tristan casas uh, Dominic Canzone, there's a kind of a bad fastball location. Didn't Miguel Looking Cabrera at, hit one? Yeah, I think he did, actually. <laughs> yep, Cabrera hit one on one, like, way in. It was 95.7 mile hour fastball that was actually, like, in on him. <laughs> and somehow he turned on it, but it was, like, middle, middle in. Yeah, I'm looking at a lot of these. The fastballs were, you know, lower velocity. Bryce Harper hit some that were, like, you know, good sliders or change-ups that just Bryce Harper was going to hit. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm not too concerned about that. It looks like just fastball location on some of them, and the velocity was down on a couple. But, you know, ultimately, I think there is positive regression in that sense from Strider. Yeah. Got to love him. Uh, I think that still going back a couple of years, I think he should have won Rookie of the Year a couple of years back. But yeah. that's probably because I placed a bet on it, and I was kind of <laughs> hoping that he would pull through. But either way, uh, I am a huge Strider fan. If you want to mute the word Strider from my tweets this year, you can feel free to do that because I'm going to be talking about him as much as I did last year, if not more. So be ready for that. Now, number two starter in this rotation, and according to some people, I have had this argument online with some people that Max Fried is the best pitcher in the Atlanta Braves rotation. Some people do think that. I think the skills are fairly unimpeachable, but the injuries kind of did worry me a little bit this last year. He dealt with a blister, and blisters are not that serious, but that's the fourth time that he has had blister problems in his career that have caused him to miss time. Forearm and hamstring also caused some grief for him last year, and it did limit him to only, what was it, 77 innings. Do you have any worry about this kind of carrying over, or do you think that he's got a clean bill of health at this point and we should you know, project what Steamer's projecting, which is 185 innings? You'd certainly love to see 185 innings, but yeah. I'd be lying if I was say I was concerned that I mean, I just think that the injury concerns are here. I wonder, you would have thought that Alex Anthopoulos would already have signed free to a long-term extension, and maybe there's other reasons behind that, why he hasn't signed. Maybe they know he's just not going to resign, wants to test free agency. But the injury history does have give me a little bit of pause with Freed. Talent-wise, when he's on the mound, 
he's as good as can be. I mean, he's one of the best pitchers in baseball when he's on the mound. But you kind of look at the the history, and while he did give you two healthy seasons in 2021 and 2022, albeit missing a couple starts here or there, the 2023 season was a concern. He made just 14 starts. There was some regression. And ultimately, I think that there is some reasons to be concerned that Freed gets or doesn't get to 100, even 150 innings. We'll see. But, and I want to invest, but man, I'd be lying to you if I said I wasn't concerned at all. Yeah. I, I think the skills are just so good. And that's why yeah. people are still drafting him very high up where he's going right now is 66. I mean, that's fifth round or so of a 15 teamer. He's probably your, in a lot of builds, your number one starting pitcher, maybe your number two starting pitcher. I think there is a lot of risk there. And, you know, it's great to see, like you said, the projections that think he'll be healthy. But just looking through the injury history page, it does give me pause. And in that range, do I really want to be taking him when I can go for – and I'm somebody who generally wants to wait on pitching. But when you're talking about, like, the fifth round or so, I just think that you can go for some more stable – like a Logan Webb is going in the same range as him. Logan Webb, I think, is doesn't have the same upside, but I think the floor is a lot higher. Blake Snell – I, you know, there's reasons to fade Blake Snell, but he's going in the exact same spot too. Grayson Rodriguez, Kodai Senga, Yuri Perez. It's kind of a deep area, and I wouldn't feel the need to, you know, you have to take Freed here. I, I think that you can, but there is a ton of options in that range. And if you want to take a starting pitcher, you can take somebody I think that has a little bit more certainty, a bit of a higher floor in that range. Yeah, you agree? I kind of agree. Yeah, I agree with that sentiment. I think yeah. that if you get a healthy Freed, you get a positive return on investment, but yeah. yeah. If not, I think there's other options if you are concerned. Yeah, absolutely. Now let's talk about the old man of the staff, Charlie Morton. Charlie Morton still was able to give you a good year last year, despite the fact that he's just about, has he turned 40 years old yet? Yeah, he just turned 40. He gave you a 163 innings of a 364 ERA, 26% strikeout rate. Now the walks were pretty high, and the supporting metrics did not suggest that he should have had a 364 ERA, probably should have been above four, but he went out there and he gave you another good season. And generally speaking, he's been very good now for the last six, seven years. Does he have one more in the tank, you think? Or are we at the point where we should probably be avoiding him? Well, I keep thinking that he's an avoid. And you know, again, we had a 30-start a season in 2023, and the results were still solid. I know some of the peripheral numbers weren't nearly as good, but his fastball velocity stay, it sustained. Obviously, he's got the big curveball. Like he just gets the job done. You know, maybe it's safer to say Morton gives you 140 to 150 innings as a 40-year-old. I guess this is his last year, and he's going to want to go out on a positive note. But I, I'm interested. The price tag on Morton at a 2.44 ERA. I think there's other options around there that are intriguing. But Morton surprisingly feels like a semi-safe bet of what you you know what you're going to get from him at least. From you know the ERA standpoint, it's going to give you decent strikeouts. I mean, he's given he's had a high strikeout rate consistently, you know, over the last few years. I mean, last year it dipped to you know just below twenty six percent, but still a solid number. So it's an interesting debate here. Morton's WHIP was certainly bad, and that's a factor. I think the wheels could come off at any point, and that's why the Braves have kind of bulked up some pitching depth. Yeah, but. If you give get 140, 150 innings out of Morton and they're solid, I think you have to be pretty happy. Yeah, I think considering the price, 94th pitcher overall that's mixing in starters and relievers off the board. I wish there was a way, as a side note, to sort starters and relievers on the NFBC site, but that's yeah. something you got to kind of do manually. But the 94th pitcher off the board, he's going in the same range as Tristan McKenzie, Nick Lodolo, Max Scherzer, Yusei Kikuchi, Kenta Maeda, Lucas Giolito. I don't mind him. I honestly don't mind him. You know, just thinking about these names, there's some concerns that I have with kind of all of them. And there's concerns with with Morton, but at least you have good strikeout upside and you still have a good team. He won 14 games last year. This team yeah. is not going to be substantially different in terms of their win and loss record, I don't think. And Morton, assuming he's healthy, probably can bank on double-digit wins with good Ks and around a four ERA, I think, and a pick 250-ish. I can get behind that, even though there are risks. At that point, you're not getting any you know, unimpeachable assets. There's going to be a risk with anybody in that range. I think the upside does kind of does kind of give me uh, some reason to be drafting him a couple times this year. Chris Sale. Chris Sale is the next guy, and you want to talk about a tricky guy to figure out. He was really good this past season, despite the fact that he had a 4-3 ERA. 
He had a 29% strikeout rate, 22 and uh, 22.6 on the strikeout minus walk. He had a Sierra of 3.5. He was really damn good when he was out there, and he actually threw 20 starts, which was a little surprising um, considering the way the last two years have gone with 11 starts combined. The only question for me is health, and it's hard for us to figure out here on the podcast if Chris Sale is going to be healthy. But would you be interested in taking a chance on Chris Sale at this point? I think so from the standpoint of you don't need – he knows he doesn't have to be an ace in Atlanta. He's been an ace consistently throughout his career, but he's at a point in his career now where he doesn't pitch like an ace, and he's not expected to in this Atlanta rotation. He can be the three or four, and that will be completely suitable. He can give you 140 innings, and I think that there's value in that. Sale said in, the, in an interview the other day that this is his first normal healthy offseason that he's had in some time. And, you know, we take that at face value. The player's obviously going to promote themselves being healthy. We don't know for sure. But I do believe that Sale does still have stuff, and he still can compete. We saw down the stretch last year, he was really solid, especially in September and October, posting really solid numbers at 288 ERA over that month. He struck out 29 batters, like looked pretty good across the board in 25 innings. And the second half numbers were pretty respectable. So I don't think you need to draft Chris Sale thinking he's going to be an ace. I think you can draft him here knowing that if he gives you innings, he's going to provide value. And it's worth the potential risk because I think he could return some solid value if he gives you 140 innings. And I think that there's potential for him to new home, new start, compete, competing team. Like I think he may have a new fire lit under him, even though he's going to be 35 to begin the year. Yeah, and the price is, I think, the lowest probably we've ever had to pay on Chris Sale, 174 At that point, you know, in a 15-team league, you're talking about, like, what is it, round 12 at that point? You probably have three or four starters, to your point. The Braves yep. aren't expecting him to be an ace. You don't need him to be an ace for your fantasy team. But then again, he could be. If he starts 25 games, I could see Chris Sale having another 22% strikeout minus walk year with something close to what the Sierra was, maybe like a 3-6, three, 3-7. Three, I think it's still in the cards for him. The fact that he hasn't thrown so many innings these last couple of years, despite the fact that he's injured, you know, you're going to have less wear and tear maybe. I know I'm just trying to find a positive there with the injury. <laughs> There's not as many innings under his belt as there maybe should be at this point of his career. So that might be something where in the latter half he can kind of make it up to some extent. I wouldn't be expecting that necessarily. But if you're able to get 130, 140 innings out of Chris Sale, in this for this team pitching for this team i think that you're going to be very happy in round 12 of a 15 teamer and you're talking even later most people don't play in 15 teamers i always talk about everything from a 15 team point of view but realistically in a 12 team league this is like round 15 round 16 it's a point in the draft where you're probably dropping half of those players at that point on anyway and the potential for an ace and sale would be enough for me to take the chance he's not somebody that i'm taking on every single team but a couple times this year for sure, I would be taking Chris Sale at that point, assuming the price doesn't skyrocket because a lot of these are slow drafts. The ADP takes a little bit of time to kind of update. Maybe people start pushing them up to 120, 130, 140, which I wouldn't like. But at this point, it's hard to not be at least somewhat interested in Chris Sale. The fifth projected starter is Bryce Elder. And Bryce Elder gave you a really good season. It was a little bit deceitful, honestly, considering what the advanced numbers and the stuff, the stuff is really not great. If you look at Eno Saris' stuff numbers, the strikeouts are very low, but yet he gave you a 381 ERA this past season. He was able to win 12 games for you. He was a very solid fantasy asset. I personally don't have any interest in Bryce Elder. I think that the wheels are probably going to come off a little bit, but I'm interested to see what you think. Yeah, I think the second half was more of who Bryce Elder really is. And the price tag's really cheap, going post-pick 500, wow. which, yeah, I mean, that's really late for somebody considering that you look at the surface numbers, you're like, oh, what, too bad of a year. 381 ERA over 174 innings. Gave you a lot of volume. Doesn't strike guys out, though. He's a weird contact management type of arm. It's ultimately pretty reliant on command of pitches and weak contact. Only struck out 17.5% of batters, walked 8.5%. KMISBB rate really, really low. So I am part of me thinks that Elder's probably not in the rotation all year. He's going to compete for the fifth spot, according to Alex Anthopoulos interview the other day with AJ Smith Shalver and Ronaldo Lopez. Lopez is a reliever in my book. I, I think it's just GM talk. But I do think that AJ Smith Shalver and Hurston Walter both have a chance to 
really crack in and get that fifth spot if they want it. You just look at Elder. He really, really fell off in the second half. 5'11 ERA over 68 in two-thirds innings. And he struck out just 48 batters over those innings. It's just not a profile that I want to invest in at all. Yeah. Now, in terms of those guys that you mentioned, Shaver and Waldrop, their ADP over the last month is 389 and 483, respectively. Are those guys that you're willing to take a chance on in some leagues this year? Yeah, I think so, especially in a DC format, because, you know, regardless, they are going to be on your roster and they're going to come up and pitch at some point. And I think they both have the stuff to be really successful arms. AJ Smith Shaver was rushed last year as a 20 year old. Made it to Atlanta pretty quickly from he was in high heat to start the year and made it to Atlanta within two months. And obviously the results were so so. But AJ's an incredibly hard worker. He's putting in the work this offseason. I've got a connection, a family connection there. So I've gotten to know their family. Really good family. AJ Smith Shaver's gonna be a dude, I think. And he's still got a lot of work to do, but he's putting in the work to get there. The arsenal's pretty well rounded, big time fastball, a lot of depth in the curveball. Solid slider and developing change up too. So uh, Smith Shaver is a really good investment. Hurston Waldrop, first round pick last year, made it to AAA in the year. And there were floating rumors that the Braves were going to call him up the last week of the season to be on the postseason roster. Didn't end up happening, but that was at least a consideration for the Braves, which shows you how they value him. One of the nastiest splitters you'll see. He's got a 96-mile-an-hour fastball. And you look in Florida, when he was at the University of Florida, they just did not know how to utilize his pitch usage at all. It was pretty horrific, actually. The Braves completely flipped some things. It's weird because Florida's like a national powerhouse, but yet the way they used Hurston Waldrop last year was just kind of crazy, to say the least. And I I think that he's going to be better this year. Another opportunity to get away from what they were using in Florida. When he was behind in counts at Florida, he used his fastball 72% of the time, which is just wild. <laughs> 23% when he was ahead. Uh, it seemed like he was very predictable that hitters knew wow. what was coming. So I'll bank on a rebound here. Splitter had a 65% whiff rate in college, just nasty. So Waldrop, easy investment in a DC format at least, because I think, He's probably up in at least by June, July, getting you know reasonable innings for Atlanta. Good to know. Stash that one away if you guys are doing some DCs. There's only one more pitcher, starting pitcher, I think that is worth mentioning, and I'm not even 100% sure if he's worth mentioning. That's Ian Anderson. Now, he had TJ at the beginning of last year. I think that he is going to be healthy somewhere in the middle of this season, but the bloom has really come off the rose for Ian Anderson over the last couple of years. He did not pitch a single inning in 2023. In 2022, it was a 5 ERA. Is he maybe cooked at this point? I mean, I hate to, to say that, but is he somebody that, you know, is kind of just going to fizzle out and not really ever amount to much, you think? I, I hate to phrase it that way, but is yeah, that what we're at? Yeah. Well, I mean, sadly, it seems like it after how productive he was in 2020 as a 22-year-old. And then even the next year, he pitched 120 innings in 2021 and looked really good. Mm-hmm. And then the wheels just kind of completely fell off. Obviously, having TJ set him back a bit. He will probably be like ready to return by June or July, but he has an option. So, you know, the Braves are probably going to pitch him rehab and then even into the minors. So he's probably going to spend most of the year in the minors, if I had to guess. And I have to wonder, like, is he cooked? I, I think it's possible. I hope we see a bounce back because Anderson's changeup's so good, but he's got to let the fastball play better off of it. And ultimately, you can't just live on a changeup against MLB hitters. Got to command the fastball better and got to see some better traits and characteristics out of it. So it all depends on what he looks like coming you know, back from TJ. There's little intrigue. He's probably not an investment in 2024 for me. Yeah, it's unfortunate because he looked like he was going to be, you know, maybe not the next big thing, but he looked like he was going to be a very solid guy that you can rely on from a real-life point of view, from a fantasy point of view. But that's pitching. That's baseball for you. Uh, arms are very volatile. Let's talk a little bit about this pen. I don't think there's any question that Rizal Iglesias is going to get 90 plus percent of the saves. AJ Minter also very solid and they brought in Ronaldo Lopez. They've kind of done a lot to this pen this offseason as well. They brought in Aaron Bummer. They're looking pretty damn solid top to bottom here. This pen though, it's Iglesias, but let's say Iglesias does falter. He gets hurt or something. Is it Minter? Is Minter the guy that they would turn to or would it be more of like a Lopez-Minter split? What, what are your thoughts there? I could see it being split. We've seen them go to mentor 
in the past when there have been injuries. And honestly, Minter just doesn't thrive in the ninth inning. Stuff's really good. Like if you're playing in a saves hold league, AJ Minter is one of the best like assets you can get because he doesn't cost you much. He's going to give you good ratios and, and strikeouts. So I think ultimately we probably see a split if Iglesias does go down. They, they could mix, like, mix and match in a lot of ways, ultimately. Bummer could even pitch in the back end if they wanted a lefty. Ronaldo Lopez has big stuff out of the pen. You've got Joe Jimenez, who also had a sneaky good year in 2023. So there are options. I would say it's probably looking at more of a platoon split if you don't go with Iglesias. So either Minter or Lopez are probably getting the first crack, depending on how many lefties or righties are going to be in the ninth inning that they're facing. But I do think there's other options too, depending on how things go. But I would say that Minter and Lopez probably have the best chances. Just in terms of Iglesias himself, do you think that he is worthy of paying like a top five closer price this year? Do you think he's going to be able to repeat what he did last year? Or are there any concerns for you with Iglesias? No, I think he will be. I think that he's pretty safe. You look at just the production. He's had an ERA under three every year since 2020. And pretty much every year of his career outside of a down year in 2019 with Cincinnati. So he's been so good. He's got a career ERA below three. He will be... He's 33. He just turned 34, actually. So, but relievers, I think, can pitch a little bit deeper into their career. So I don't, I'm not worried about him being 34 and, you know, pitching in the back of this bullpen. Strikeouts are still there. Everything just kind of checks the boxes that you want to see in an elite closer. So, yeah, I'm pretty comfortable investing in him. There should be plenty of opportunities for him to get plenty of saves in Atlanta. Yeah, he's going at pick 58. It's expensive, but you need to take at least one closer fairly high up generally to compete, especially if you're in an overall component kind of tournament. And I think Iglesias makes a, a lot of sense there if you're talking like round round five or so. It might move up a little bit, but that's generally where he's going about round five. Have we missed anybody, Chris? Have we missed any potential massive fantasy assets in 2024? Anybody that might get called up that you think could have any interest? Have we missed anything here? I don't think so. And we mentioned both prospects, the, pit, the both starting pitching prospects that might you know have some intrigue. But other than that, there's not a lot, you know, in the upper levels of the system that will be up soon. So no impacts there. We covered the whole lineup. The bench is pretty meh. We covered DRNO, and he's probably the the best of those on the bench that will play regularly. Cover the rotation. I th- think we're pretty good. I think we are pretty good. That is your Atlanta Braves preview. I hope you guys are able to get something out of this. Chris, of course, is the best for coming on here. I really appreciate it, man. Uh, always great to talk with you and catch up and we'll be back on the links before we know it it'll be november the year will be behind us and you will be you and bloomfield will be running circles around the rest of the group again Uh, but thank thanks so much for coming on i really appreciate it chris yeah and i appreciate you why don't you let us know one more time where you can where everybody can find your work just to make sure nobody is missing out on it sure yeah so uh, the the dynasty dugout.com every all written works there the tool shed podcast we cover you know all sorts of stuff there we do even some redrafts but uh Mostly Dynasty and Prospects with Eric Cross. Yeah, on Twitter, at RotoCleg, C-L-E-G-G. Make sure you guys are following Chris. Eric Cross will be here with us. I'm not sure exactly when because he's on a trip, but once he gets back, we are going to be doing a Boston Red Sox preview. So if you like the tool shed, you want to hear more of these guys, come check us out when Eric does the Boston Red Sox. And, of course, be checking out the tool shed pod and everything Chris has going on at the Dynasty Dugout. I don't even know how you get to all this, man. Like it's every day. I feel like there's an email in my inbox with a new team top 30. It's like, it is a truly impressive amount of work you put out there and it's great stuff. So you guys are really missing out, especially dynasty prospect guys. If you're not following Chris's work, make sure you guys are at Roto Clegg. Of course, I'm at Joe Rico 99 and you can check us out at sportsethos.com as well. This one will be out as a podcast later today, of course, but until tomorrow when we'll be talking Baltimore Orioles with Ben Palmer, we'll leave you there. But until then, take care, everybody. Have a great night and cheers. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. 
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.